Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out, talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Here's my co-host, Chris. What's going on, man? Not much. Just another football coma this weekend. Some yeah. very solid games this weekend. Very strong games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a little bit different than what happened last weekend, uh, Wild Card weekend, but really good games. Uh, seven points was the greatest difference uh, of score in any of those four games. Uh, all all very good, I, I'd say. Fun to watch, but there's that's, definitely... That's a, a little deceiving, though. There was one game yeah. that... Well, well, it I, ended up within seven. It was uh, pretty well in hand. Yeah, definitely. There, I mean, like you said, there, there's, there's definitely a ranking to these four games. Somewhere a little bit above the cut. Uh, starting off with that Green Bay versus Arizona game. Chris, tell me you watched that game. Oh, I watched that game start to finish. That was a fantastic football game. Uh, it's funny. Last weekend, that was one of the games that I thought probably wouldn't be as good as some of the other ones on the docket uh, but it turned out to be by far the best of the bunch it was just fantastic one of the best playoff games that I can remember and something about University of Phoenix Stadium a lot of great games have happened in that stadium you had the uh, Boise State Oklahoma you've had uh, a couple of Super Bowls last year's Super Bowl the uh, New England Super Bowl where they lost their perfect season a lot of uh, great games have gone down in that stadium. So it must be something in the air, something under the dome. I don't know what's going on out in the desert. But for those of you who may have missed it, Arizona prevailed 26-20 to 20 in overtime. There was a coin flip drama. There was a Hail Mary by Aaron Rodgers. Another one. He Obviously, you know, you guys remember earlier in the year, beat the Lions on a Hail Mary. And then Larry Fitzgerald. Turning into Mr. January, uh, last time he was in the playoffs, had a fantastic run during their Super Bowl run. And uh, Bob, just what were your impressions of the game? What what stood out to you the most? There's so much to start pick from. What were your impressions of the game? Well, my impression was for all but one drive, Carson Palmer seemed to be protected by some kind of football divine intervention he threw two interceptions and they were costly interceptions for sure. Uh, he should have thrown, I think three other ones looked like they were, could have been potential interceptions, including one that resulted in a uh, Malcolm Floyd touchdown, which was a, a ridiculous sequence of events on, on that throat. Uh, both these quarterbacks really did not play at their best at, at the level that we've seen them. Aaron Rodgers being, uh, an MVP quarterback, probably the most talented quarterback playing right now. Carson Palmer, probably going to be number two in MVP voting this year. Both of them struggled. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, 261 yards, two touchdowns and an interception looks good. Before that final drive, uh, he, he that that resulted in 101 yards of passing for him. So that, that's, that's a little deceptive of, of how his night went. So again, it, it turned out to be a completely theatrical match, but I really think it, it went to the defensive side of the ball, uh, the way these guys played on, on that side, making plays for these two really talented quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, we, we saw both of them struggle mightily for, for a good portion of the game. Yeah, if you didn't know who Jeff Janis was before that game, you sure do now. Seven catches, 145 yards, two touchdowns. Obviously, that 60-yard long one is going to be the one people remember the most. Uh, I was surprised at how effective Green Bay was running the ball. 
Uh, 22 carries, 135 yards as a team. Eddie Lacy had a solid night against a very stout defense. Now, his 12 carries for 89 yards is a little deceiving because he had a big 61-yard run. So if you kind of take that away, maybe it's not as impressive as the final stats may show. But still, 22 carries, 135 yards, a little bit of balance to the offense. You're right, Aaron Rodgers struggled, and so did Carson Palmer throughout the game. But towards the end there, they stepped up, they made big plays. I mean, Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, you said it, has got to be the most talented quarterback right now. He's got it all. He's got the IQ. He's got the mobility. He can beat you with his legs. He can scramble out of the pocket. He throws a great deep ball, one of the best deep balls in the NFL. He's accurate. He's got it all. And he is the worst quarterback to face on a Hail Mary because he can roll out of that pocket, buy his receiver's time, and, oh, by the way, throw a very accurate deep ball, as we saw against Detroit and against Arizona. The guy is the he is the guy you want on your team in big situations. I know the Packers lost, but they didn't have a, a possession in overtime. They never got to touch the ball. And kudos to Arizona for going right down and scoring, thanks largely to Larry Fitzgerald's uh, 70, what, I think he had like 76, all, all their yards in overtime, maybe all 80 of, of those yards in overtime. He had that 75-yard catch and then a five-yard touchdown. So Fitzgerald, definitely the MVP of the game. He also had a huge catch in the third quarter that maybe was or wasn't a catch. Who knows? I don't even know what an NFL catch is anymore. So Aaron Rodgers was fantastic. Larry Fitzgerald was fantastic. The Stars stepped up, and it was just whoever had the ball last won. And Arizona took matters into their own hands and – made sure Green Bay wasn't going to get a chance by scoring that touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just another thing about Aaron Rodgers, you know, the the very first deep ball that he threw the Janus, that was when he ha- uh, was rolling to his left, uh, planted his foot, and, and launched it forward. The Hail Mary that resulted in a touchdown, he was on his back foot falling away, and he was able to place it uh, perfectly and and way far down down the field to Janus for, for that touchdown against Patrick Peterson, the one of the best corners in the, the entire NFL. So again, what a, a, a fantastic two sets of plays. He was, yeah, he is a great deep ball thrower. Uh, Randall Cobb's catch that didn't count that left-handed grab was another just mind blowing play that, that, that you saw Aaron Rodgers make. Um, but yeah, for as, as amazing as that drive was, Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald had, had just as an impressive one. Uh, we talked a little bit how Fitzgerald owned the overtime. If not for Carson Palmer eluding four rushers to get the ball to Larry Fitzgerald, uh, we wouldn't be talking about it. Uh, he made a fantastic play, a fantastic spin out of the rush to do the, to commit the cardinal sin of throwing across your body uh, while scrambling to the other side of the field to Larry Fitzgerald. And then he ran – with the grace of a gazelle, man, that was very, very fun to watch him just kind of scamper down the field. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is probably the, in terms of a wide receiver in the postseason, he he's big time, man. Nine hundred twelve yards, ten receptions in, in postseason play, and only eight games. Uh, he comes to play, and uh, that's exactly what the Cardinals need to get to the Super Bowl. Larry Fitzgerald is one of my favorite players in the NFL. A lot of people were saying he should leave Arizona. He should ask for a trade during some of their down years. I like athletes who are high character and loyal and exceptionally talented, and Larry Fitzgerald is all of those. 
I was cheering for the Cardinals hardcore when they played the Steelers in that Super Bowl. I think everyone in Cleveland was. And Larry Fitzgerald almost had the heroic catch that won it. Unfortunately, Santonio Holmes made one more play uh, late. And I really like the Arizona Cardinals from a story standpoint. Carson Palmer trying to, I mean, he got his first playoff win, Bob. He's played in this league forever. He's only been in the playoffs three times. This is his first playoff win. First trip to the divisional round because the last two times he played in the wild card round with Cincinnati. So this is a big, a lot of great stories on Arizona. They're the team I'm kind of pulling for other than, of course, my New England Patriots, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit. But going back to Green Bay for a second. No Devontae Adams. They lost Jordy Nelson before the year began. Randall Cobb left early in the game. He did not have a single catch. And James Jones also did not have a single catch. That's Aaron Rodgers' top four receivers. Catchless. Three, two of them didn't play. One of them played maybe a quarter. Bob, if I would have told you that, you would have thought the Arizona. I mean, you would have thought Arizona would win by like forty-five points. I mean, there's no way. I mean, I know Aaron Rodgers is great, but. You need someone to catch the ball, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it, it was less than a month ago where uh, we had this matchup. Thirty-eight to eight was was the final score in favor of the Cardinals. Uh, and then to tell me that the Packers are going to come in uh, get for round two with with less weapons for Aaron Rodgers uh, and to play them that close to almost beat them, uh, yeah, that I I wouldn't have believed it. One one last uh, comment on the Hail Mary that, that tied the game to send it to overtime. I do question Bruce Arians blitzing on that play and, and sending, uh, I think, six guys to get to Aaron Rodgers. I, I, I understand the risk that you're taking, but you know the play. If You know he's going to go downfield. Why not sport an extra body or two down there to, to knock the ball away? They didn't have the, the, the usual amount of Hail Mary protectors in the end zone. I thought that was questionable. Yeah, it was a little questionable. Um, maybe not send six, maybe just rush five and drop six back in coverage. Here's another question for you. If you're Green Bay, no time left, just one on a Hail Mary, why not go for two? Why not try to why risk the coin flip and not seeing the ball in overtime? You have complete control of your own destiny. Why not try to walk off on your own terms? I don't like to second guess coaches, but if I'm coaching in that situation, I go for two every time. I, I would respect it if, if they went for it. I respect it, them for kicking it. Uh, you know, kind of the – I understand the mindset. They they were holding the Cardinals in check. Uh, Floyd scored that touchdown in the fourth quarter, kind of on that fluke play. Uh, other than that, though, Carson Palmer did look a little confused for, for a lot of the game. So I, I totally understand uh, just kicking the field goal, letting, letting you go into overtime and uh, hoping that, that you get at least one chance. Um do you have any opinion on the coin flip and the controversy that happened there? It was just funny. The, the Cardinals won both coin flips, by the way. Yeah. The ref flips it up. It did not flip. They showed a replay of a coin flip, which has got to be the first time ever. It didn't flip, so he flipped it again. Cardinals won both, so it didn't matter. Uh, I think if one team had won one and the other team won the other, it would have been a little bit bigger of a deal. But since yep. the Cardinals won both, it didn't matter. And... Uh, yeah, but hey, like I said, this game had it all. Coin flip drama, Hail Mary, <laughs> overtime, everything. 
One last point, though. You, you're right about the Cardinals. They were holding him in check, and that Larry Fitzgerald 75-yard catch was a broken play. They almost had Carson Palmer dead to right. He throws across the field. Larry Fitzgerald is wide open, and he just burns them. I mean, the throw was like five yards. He ran about like 70 of those 75 yards. So yeah. uh, it, it was pretty much all Fitzgerald on that play, even though it goes down as a 75-yard catch. Yeah, I, I can't I can't criticize uh, McCarthy for, for kicking, for kicking the, the extra point uh, to go into overtime. I mean – you're you're you are lucky to be in that situation in the first pit place don't get greedy and try and go for two but you know i respect anybody who has the gumption to to try that and and to try and walk off on a, on a on a on a two-point conversion uh at the end of overtime or end of regular time i'm a greedy guy bob i would have gone for it but that's just me <laughs> i'm also not an nfl coach it's easy to easy to criticize when you're just a podcaster yes. but yeah. all righty the other game in the nfc Let's just say it didn't live up to the first one. Um, this final score, Carolina 31, Seattle 24, a little bit deceptive. Seattle, in its traditional starting slow mentality, went down 31 to nothing at halftime and looked like it couldn't do anything. Then in the second half, cut it all the way down to seven, tried a nine-side kick with less than two minutes left. Carolina recovers, knees it out, game over. It got a little exciting in that fourth quarter because you thought maybe the Seattle magic was going to strike again. Maybe Seattle was going to pull another one out of nowhere and survive, but it did not. Carolina was just too much, too good, and 31 nothing was too big of a hole. Bob, what are your impressions of this game? Cam Newton, statistically, at least passing-wise, did not, did not, didn't have a very strong game. No, he, he did not, but then again, he didn't really need to uh... – it was five minutes in, and, and the Panthers are already up by 14 points uh, after that Luke Keekly uh, pick six, and then Russell Wilson threw another interception shortly after that that put them in scoring territory as well. Uh, that only resulted in a field goal, but combined, that, that's 10 points right there, plus a missed Stephen Hauschka field goal. I mean, that's 13 points that you left uh, up for grabs uh, on the Seahawks' side. Uh, that's really the story of the Seahawks' season encapsulated in one game, you know, Uh at times they look awful and terrible and you thought you think that like everything is done. And then the second half, the defense clamps down, stops the run game. Uh, the Panthers got conservative naturally when you're up 31, nothing, uh, all power to you to be conservative, but, uh, the Seahawks stopped the, the run game and, and Russell Wilson came alive and made some really big plays, but you know, 31, nothing against a really good team. Uh, that's just too much to, to, to ask for. And, you know, they were, maybe one or two possessions shy of, of actually making a historic comeback, but uh, a, a valiant effort for sure. I, you know, 31, nothing at halftime to come back and score 24 on an answer points. That's, that that's a way to save face, but at the same time, you, you can't make those mistakes uh, against good teams. Pete Carroll must have played that TCU Baylor game at halftime because uh, I believe they were down <laughs> 31, nothing. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, here's why Cam Newton didn't have a great game statistically. He was 16 of 22, one touchdown, no interceptions. So the times he did throw was fine, only 161 yards. But that's because they ran the ball 41 times, 11 of those to Newton for three yards. So if you take that away, 30 carries for 141 yards to non-Cam Newton runners. The bulk of that going to Jonathan Stewart, who had a 59-yard long, 19 carries, 106 yards, and two touchdowns. Clearly playing a little more managerial uh, with the with the football when they had the ball up 31 nothing didn't want to do anything crazy Russell Wilson sacked five times two interceptions I mean the Panthers defense were all over him Cam Newton only one sack 
Uh, he had to throw the ball 48 times, 366 yeah. yards. He, he piled it up, but uh, you, you look at the, the ratings, uh, Newton was much better than Wilson just because those two interceptions, those five sacks. Wilson was not able to make many plays with his legs either. He was the team's leading rusher, three carries, 32 yards. When Seattle only rushes for 78 yards as a team, they're probably going to lose almost every time because everything is so predicated on getting Marshawn Lynch or Thomas Rawls, Rawls obviously not playing in this game, going to open up that offense a little bit, and it just did not happen. They fell behind too quickly, 14-0 right off the bat within the first like five minutes, 31-0 at halftime. That's too big of a hole for a team like the Seattle to climb out of. Yeah, definitely. Uh, nine attempts by Seattle running backs. Uh, like you said, Marshawn Lynch wasn't really able to do anything uh, you know, some of the runs he, he was doing his typical bro- broken tackle thing. Uh, he, he looked relatively healthy, but he just didn't look, uh, they weren't able to get him in sync. And again, that's probably the nature of falling behind so quickly uh, in that game. But, you know, kudos to the Panthers, man. They, they own their home turf. They, they, they clamped down what was a very hot team. Uh, we seem to be talking about a lot about the Seahawks and not about the Panthers. The Panthers, are just as good defensively, if not better, this year. Um, you know, they're they're a very good team, and that and they they're they're gonna hold home 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 court and and host the Arizona Cardinals. So, uh, they they I think they proved something uh, with this win, with the way they uh, you know stamped the Seahawks uh, early on. Hey, you take away the Seattle running game, you hold Russell Wilson to 32 yards rushing, you sack him five times. He's the slipperiest quarterback in the NFL. Two interceptions. They did a phenomenal job against this Seahawks team today. The Panthers' defense is ferocious. It's for real. It has home field, and it's about to face Arizona for the right to go to the Super Bowl. Bob, this on paper is a matchup that I think a lot of people wanted to materialize. You've got the Panthers on one hand, the Cardinals on the other. Both teams, 14-game winners, Carolina 15-1, and and undefeated at home. The Cardinals right there on their tails. The two clear best teams in the NFC in the regular season. They did not play in the regular season. You've got the, you know, the Carson Palmer story, the Cam Newton coming out story, the two uh, dynamic, two solid defenses with a lot of weapons, balanced teams. I think that these teams are the two most complete teams in the NFL right now. This is a tough game to pick, hard to pick against Carolina. But Bob, what are your thoughts on this very, uh, very strong NFC Championship matchup coming up here? Yeah, it it is very hard to pick because as successful as these two teams have been, uh, one we've never seen them in this situation before, such a high stakes game, and two, uh, they're very different teams stylistically uh, on both sides of the ball, really. Uh, the Cardinals like to uh, isolate their their corners on on the outside and and run a lot of exotic blitzes. Uh, that's a Bruce Arians thing. Uh, they're very uh, very much a pro style offense. Panthers are uh, you know run option with, with Cam Newton and use him as a battering ram and kind of control the ground. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting matchup. Obviously, the the key for any team playing against the Panthers is stopping Cam Newton, taking away. Uh, one facet of his game be that the passing game or the run game I personally think the run game the the option game is the more important part of it but if you can isolate one of it uh, you're in a good spot Um, and then on on the flip side of it uh, 
taking away those outside weapons for Carson Palmer uh, is the key for that. And, you know, they have Josh Norman. He's he's perfect at doing that. I'm very interested to see how uh, Bruce Arians floats Larry Fitzgerald around the field, tries to get him off Josh Norman. I'm very interested to see what Josh Norman does when he's paired up with Larry Fitzgerald. So you have a lot of key matchups, a lot of big matchups. And uh, I, I'm i not really sure how it's going to fall. What are What's your opinion? Well, first off, I want to know how Carson Palmer is going to figure out this Panthers defense because if he played the way he did against the Packers, Carolina's going to eat him alive. I, I don't think Lady Luck will be on his side. Uh, he had that tip pass that was the ultimate touchdown in regulation. Now Aaron Rodgers came back and tied it, but he had some fortunate situations too. I mean, you said it earlier. He's lucky that his stat line wasn't worse than it is. Uh, so Carson Palmer is going to have a, a lot of – He's going to have a big task ahead of him with this Carolina Panthers defense that seems to be playing on just all cylinders all year. It has been an elite unit. It has given people fits. It is, all due respect to Cam Newton, he's been phenomenal. But, you know, right, he's, the defense is right up there with Cam Newton as the reason why this team is 15-1. and one. You've got an all-time elite defense with a quarterback that's entering his prime, an elite quarterback in his prime, that's the recipe that produced three out of four Super Bowls for the New England Patriots you know, about 15 years ago. So if you're looking at on paper, you've got to like everything that Carolina's got going for them. And on the Arizona side, Tyrion Matthew is not going to play. I mean, they lost him in the regular season, late in the regular season. That's a big loss for them in their secondary, especially, as you said, with Bruce Arena's liking to blitz. It'll be interesting to see how Carolina can can exploit them. You're right, two very different offenses. Carolina likes to run. Their tight end is their biggest weapon in Greg Olson, uh, while uh, Arizona is a much more traditional type spread offense. So very different teams offensively, but the key for me is that Carolina defense. Can Carson Palmer figure it out? Because like I said, if he plays the way he did last weekend, uh, it's going to be a very quick game. Yeah, certainly. I think... The Cardinals, the one thing they have going for them is that the Cardinals can play from behind and they have time to figure out the Panthers' defense in that game. Uh, they have the aerial weapons to play catch up. I don't really think the Panthers can do the same um, just because they're so ground oriented. But, you know, Newton can turn it on and he can he can light them up and throw, throw it downfield. I do think that that Cardinals secondary, even without Mateo, uh, you know they've been dealing, they've been playing without him for for a few weeks now. So that's not a new injury, something they're gonna have to adjust to. It's very good, led by Patrick Peterson. That's a very good secondary, uh, probably one of the best the Panthers uh, will see have seen all year. So uh, I am tending to lean towards Carolina because it's home field. Because I mean they've only lost one game. I, I've I feel like I have picked against them anytime we've talked about them. There's no, it's time to come around and recognize that they, they are the number one seed for a reason and they have a great defense. They have the playmaker in Cam Newton. I think the table is set for them to make a run to the Super Bowl. Uh, the only thing that could come in their way is Carson Palmer getting the hot hand. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I picked Arizona before the playoffs. I picked Green Bay before the season, jumped on off of them for Arizona after seeing Carolina play this playoff game, they're going to have home field. They have a scary defense. I don't think Arizona has enough to overcome that. I think 
Carolina's offense will be able to do what it does against Arizona's defense. And I think that the Panthers, with home field, with that defense, will win this game. And Cam Newton will play in the first of what I think will be multiple Super Bowls throughout his career because this guy's the real deal. He's not going anywhere. He's about to take this league by storm, and I think it starts with his first uh, NFC Championship uh, next weekend. But hey, you know what? I could be wrong. You never know in the NFL playoffs, especially at this stage. These two teams are fantastic, and I'm very much looking forward to this uh, very juicy matchup on paper. Yeah, definitely. I I think it's going to be a close game. Either, either way, uh, it's going to be a close game, but I think just because of home field and the Cam Newton factor playing it at home, uh, you have to lean with the Panthers on that one. So we're in agreement. Carolina's going to be there, but now we, gotta, we got the other half of the Super Bowl to get to, and this Broncos-Steelers game, last weekend, I think we both talked and said that this game was not that appeasing because of all the injuries the Steelers had. They were down their top two running backs, their top wide receiver, and much in the way the Packers did, they overcame that and had the lead late in the fourth quarter till Fitzgerald Toussaint fumbled on a drive that Pittsburgh looked like they were going to throw the hammer down, drive down to the end zone, and end the game. Fumble, Denver scores, Denver goes on to win 23-16, Peyton Manning is back in the AFC Championship game, a fantastic story there for Peyton to come back and win the playoff game. Um, Bob, what are your thoughts of this more entertaining than we thought it would be uh, AFC divisional matchup? Yeah, it it absolutely was. Um, You know, you were a little more set on the Broncos winning it last week. I said, if Brown and Roethlisberger both or one of those guys were out, uh, I'm going with the Broncos. Antonio Brown was out, uh, but Martavis Bryant and Marcus Wheaton stepped up. Uh, 14 receptions between the two. You know, I I forget the other pass catchers that the Steelers have in Darius Hayward Bay and Sammy Coates, who is a is a talented rookie. Uh, they can they can really do a next man up. I, you, there's only one Antonio Brown, but uh, with Ben leading that offense, uh, the passing game was fine. The problem was the run game. Uh, like you said, Toussaint with that big fumble. But even before that, uh, just 12 attempts for 39 yards from Toussaint. Uh, and then Todman contributed five more attempts for six yards. They just weren't able to get anything going. On the flip side of the ball, the Broncos pounded the ball for 31 attempts between C.J. Anderson and Ronnie Hillman. Uh, that kind of masked the fact that Peyton Manning didn't even have a touchdown in, in what was a, a win for the Broncos. So go figure that. That's kind of been Manning's season all all uh all year long so it was very much a defensive match I, I was impressed with how the Steelers were able to check the Broncos playmakers uh you know the Broncos get the credit for having a great defense but the Steelers uh, really came to play defensively uh and then again I, Ben Roethlisberger continues to impress me the fact that he was able to throw the ball 37 times for 339 yards uh just a week after it looked like his shoulder was dead uh, very impressive, and it's, he seemed to be making all the throws. Uh, maybe not as accurately downfield as we've seen, but uh, a very gutsy performance from him. Kind of a shame that it ended with that fumble, and they weren't really able to recover uh, after that. But yeah, like it was a very good game. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, my thoughts are the same. I think Pittsburgh had it. They had it won, not won, but they had a chance to really drive it home, and then the fumble just killed them. 
Uh, you look at the score, it was an ugly game, even though it was 23-16. There were only two touchdowns. Uh, there was one in the first quarter by Pittsburgh, and then one in the fourth quarter by Denver, and then it was a ton of field goals. So a uh, very defensive-oriented game. Both defenses came to play. That Denver defense playing at home is a very deadly unit. Um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is the only quarterback to throw for 300 yards on them all year, and he did it twice. He did it in the regular season and the postseason. They held Pittsburgh to 85 yards rushing. Now, obviously, and one of those was a Martavius Bryant 40-yard run, so that's a wide receiver giving you a running play. Uh, Denver running backs were held, held to just 45 yards on 17 carries. So the point is, uh, Pittsburgh was down a lot of weapons, and they showed grit. They did the next man up mentality. I mean, you look at their top receivers. Bryant, nine catches, 154 yards. Darius Hayward Bay, two catches, 64 yards. Sammy Coates, the rookie, two catches, 61 yards. Marcus Wheaton had five catches on offense. He had a fumble on special teams and a couple of, you know, iffy special teams plays there that kind of cost, uh, didn't cost Pittsburgh, but potentially cost them some field positions. So uh, certainly a few mishaps there. But all in all, it was solid. And Peyton Manning on his first game back was solid. He didn't he didn't need to be great, but he was he didn't he didn't have a bad game. He didn't have like that all time Peyton Manning great game. But twenty one to thirty seven, two hundred twenty two yards. So very solid effort all around. I just think it was just that one mistake that killed Pittsburgh in the end. Uh, if they don't fumble that ball, I think they at least get some points. Denver doesn't get momentum. And Pittsburgh's probably playing in the AFC Championship. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. What were your thoughts on the Peyton Manning uh, fake sack, get back up and throw the ball? Did you see that play? I did see that play, and he was not touched. And I don't think he gave himself up. I think he went down and immediately went to get back up. Now, if he had huddled down there, then they would have called him dead, but... He didn't do that. I think he immediately went to get back up. I think that's a, a legitimate move. That's just a heads-up play by Peyton Manning. I think it's legal, but it rubs me the wrong way because uh, him, he does this the most of everybody, but um, Tom Brady does it a lot as well. Uh, the older quarterbacks seem to do it. Um, if, if they're dead to rights uh, and there's a rusher coming, they, they'll just go down. And I think that's what he did and, and just gave himself up. But then he realized he wasn't touched and hopped back up, which was smart of him, but at the same time, it it kind of felt like he was tricking the system and 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 bending the rules in his favor. Um, I understand it's totally legal, but I, I was just like, man, I, I feel like he should have been ruled down because I've seen him fake a sack a lot of times to avoid getting hit. Yeah, I I understand where you're coming from there. Uh, if the game is trying to protect the quarterbacks, then be consistent in protecting them. I understand that, and. You know, it's not. I'm not saying Peyton Manning. I'm not accusing him of anything, but he is the guy who tries to beat you with the rules. He has run that hurry up offense. Some of those little tricky line formations. There was a time where he took a knee, and the teams were going to the locker room, and then he tries to get him back to the line of scrimmage to run another play. This happened when he was with the Colts a long time ago. So he's done stuff like that before, where it's not. You know, he's just trying to beat you by the letter of the rule and trying to trick you a little bit you know what I mean and heads up to him for doing it I'm not criticizing him for doing it you know it's perfectly legal but is it necessarily the right thing to do as a quarterback when the game is starting you're trying to be protected um what what it kind of confuses the defense because next time it's like okay how hard should I hit him things like that you know you you don't want to get into that gray area 
And I think you got to blame the refs more than you do Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is just a player making a play. The refs should have ruled him down if you're truly trying to protect the quarterback. No, yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. I, I just I looked at it. I was like, man, I, he's been made fun of all year for, for faking these sacks, for faking these hits uh, just to avoid getting hit. And it turned out that he was able to make a big play because people were expecting him to stay down. And I was just like, that's not exactly right. But, hey, hats off to him for, for staying alive, for, for uh, continuing to play, knowing the rule book. Uh, good for him. And again, I think it's on the officials more than it is on Manning. Manning shouldn't have been allowed to make the play. The officials should have consistently ruled that he gave himself up, as they have been doing all season. I think that's an officiating thing. You can't blame Manning for playing through the whistle. Yeah, very true. All righty. Well, this last game we got on the slate, close game by the score, 27-20, to 20, but not necessarily as close as the final score would have indicated. The Patriots... Drove down, first drive, scored, and that kind of set the tone for the whole game. The Chiefs were playing catch-up the whole time. They just were getting close, getting close, but not quite there. New England just kind of stiff-armed them the whole game, kept them at bay. Uh, Bob, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, obviously, Julian Edelman, his first game back, 16 targets, 10 catches, 100 yards. Uh, That's a pretty impactful statement as to how much he means to this New England offense. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, if this game was played a week earlier, wild card weekend, uh, maybe Edelman, he might have been able to go, but maybe not at 100%. Danny Amendola as well might not have been able to go. Rob Gronkowski was getting treatment. Uh, Patriots were the epitome of getting the benefit of the bye, and that's totally to their credit. But um, if it had been played a little bit earlier, I think the Chiefs might have been able to take it to him. But this game really wasn't that close. It was 21-6 to in the third quarter. Uh, the Chiefs just, with Alex Smith out there and with Jer- Jeremy Macklin uh, not at 100%, I think he only had three targets, two receptions, and 23 yards. Uh, without Macklin, Alex Smith is kind of a lame duck at quarterback. He- he's very good at what he does, but coming from behind is not his strength, especially when he's missing his, his big-time wide receiver target. So, uh, the Patriots had him. They had him just about all game long. And uh, with Edelman, Gronk, and Amandola back, Patriots look really deadly. They don't need to really run the ball, and they didn't run the ball uh, on Saturday. Six attempts from Steven Jackson, one attempt from James Jonas White. Uh, that was it from the running backs. <laughs> Only seven rushes from, from the running backs. The rest, it was just you know that typical quick pass game from, from, from Tom Brady, and, and, it, and it worked uh to a, to a relatively easy win. Tom Brady had a 10-yard run. It was the slowest 10-yard run I've ever seen yeah. in my life. He's diving for the pylon. It is so funny to watch him scramble sometimes. I mean, he's not a quote-unquote mobile quarterback. And then he snuck it in for his rushing touchdown. He was fantastic, 28-42, 302 yards against a tough Chiefs defense that they didn't even try to run against. So that, like you said, I mean, you look, Rob Gronkowski, seven catches, 83 yards, two touchdowns. Julian Edelman, 10 catches, 100 yards. Um, you know, And then they took away Travis Kelsey on defense, and that's why Jeremy Macklin not being effective was so big. They could zero in on Kelsey. Only six catches, 23 yards, nine targets. Uh, Chenkerrick West, and sorry if I butchered that, 17 carries, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Not a great day. The Patriots defense just were able to zone in on some of those other playmakers with Macklin not at full strength. Smith had a fine day, but when Alex Smith throws the ball 50 times, 
That's not what the Chiefs want to do. They want to run the ball 50 times. They want to establish the running game and maybe have Alex Smith throw it in that 25 to 30 range. Uh, you know, he just had to do a little too much. I thought Alex Smith played fine. He didn't turn the ball over. But I just think that what you could tell when the Chiefs were getting close, they just could not convert drives into touchdowns. And that's what killed them. One last thing, though. Tip of the cap to Andy Reid. Down 21-6. They score a touchdown. He did not go for two. Big, big, awesome kudos to Andy Reid for not chasing the point too early because had he and missed it, would have thrown him off, failed the Patriots to two field goals, didn't need the two-point conversion at all. He was rewarded with his patience. That's why you don't go for two unless you have to. Coaches, take a tip from Andy Reid. Don't chase the point. You're the the extra point uh, police for the NFL, always calling those guys out. Uh, <laughs> so many people screw it up in college and the pros. It it drives me crazy. You don't chase the point unless you have to. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and you wrote a really good blog about it. Uh, for anybody listening, you can check that out about the extra points and all that. I, I totally agree with you. And Andy Reid, um, you know, he he's a good coach. Uh, this was, I think, Andy Reid and Bill Belichick meeting in the playoffs. That's the most playoff experience from head coaches ever playing each other. So, yeah, it was a well-coached game on both sides. Uh, I will say it wasn't just Jerry, Jeremy Macklin that was hurt. Justin Houston was hurt, and Tom Bahali was not 100%. That's uh, 14 sacks in the regular season between those two guys. With those two guys out, um, well, Holly did give it a go. He, he did play, but he only recorded one tackle. With those two guys hurt, uh, the Patriots didn't need to turn to that run game. They were able to drop back and throw. Uh, you know, In the past... The, the, the recipe to beat the Patriots is to get pressure on Brady to disrupt the, the, the rhythm and the quick dropbacks that he has. And without your two best pass rushers, two really good pass rushers going, uh, it, it was easy pickings for the Pats all day. Oh, certainly. I mean, that's I, that, those two guys are probably more impactful than Jeremy Macklin. I mean, you, you're playing with a banged up, one of them banged up, the other one out. You're not going to get to Brady. He's just going to dissect you. I believe you called him general checkdown last year's Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. When the general can put his hat on and go to work, uh, it's just not happening. Yeah, yeah. So we got an, we got ourselves. I, I I'm I'm calling it the ultimate Manning Brady Bowl because I don't see Man- Peyton Manning returning next year. AFC Championship game. Chris, is this the 17th time they're playing? 17th time, Tom Brady holds the all-time record, 11-5. and five. Playoffs a little more even. They're 2-2. Two and two. Neither quarterback has won on the road in the postseason. Brady's two wins coming when Peyton was with Indy. Uh, Manning got one in the AFC title game with Indy and then one in the AFC title game with Denver. So Manning actually holds a 2-1 and one record against Brady in the AFC title game. So... And since Manning has gone over to Denver, neither quarterback has won on the road. That win on the road for Denver this year was Brock Osweiler, not Peyton Manning. So neither quarterback has won on the road since Manning has switched to Denver. This is a big game. I mean, you're right. This is the ultimate game. This could be the last. This is probably the last time these two will play against each other. Realistically speaking, I don't think Peyton Manning is coming back next year. Obviously, for us, we have a long history of Manning and Brady. It's not just a quarterback's rivalry. It's it's kind of our rivalry, too. We've had many debates over these two quarterbacks. Bob, 
what are you, what are your final thoughts on this rivalry? How big is this for the NFL for it to be one to see these players play against each other one last time? I think everyone was kind of cheering for this to happen, except of course Steelers and Chiefs fans. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's big time drama. Manning versus Brady kind of transcends team versus team, and you know people tune in and like to watch it. There's a very definite line. You're either on Brady's side or you're on Manning's side, and you could argue in favor of either one all day. I think it's a great rivalry. Like you said, uh, you know, I I've been a Peyton Manning fan since I saw him in the Colts uh probably like in 2003 I think I saw him play a game and that was like it, it changed the way I watched football and I, I I loved it and you've been a, a Patriots fan and a subsequent Tom Brady fan for uh almost 16 years now so yeah it, there's a lot of history of it between you and I and we, we've had lots of arguments it's gonna be great to 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 know that this is the last one uh obviously we don't know it 100 percent, but just from the way Peyton Manning's season has gone this this has to be the last one and and to to know that going into it to kind of be able to say goodbye to to deal with it one last time it's pretty cool and and i'm pretty excited for the matchup it they've given us lots of really good matchups they've given us some not so great matchups in the past but for the most part they they, they it's always turned into turned out to be a really good game and i think this is going to be a good game as well oh it's i think it's definitely going to be a good game and i think manning is going to be done because the Denver Broncos have a very big decision to make with Brock Osweiler. He's a free agent this year and you can no longer carry him on your bench with a rookie contract. Peyton Manning's contract, obviously much bigger. Uh, they're going to have to make a very tough decision. And I don't think it's that tough. Brock Osweiler is the future. They are going to move on from Peyton Manning, whether or not this is Peyton Manning's last game. I'm confident it is. I don't know for sure. He could land on another team, but I think the Broncos Peyton Manning era comes to an end whenever this postseason run ends. Uh, Bob, what are your takeaways from this? Because home field is big for Denver. The altitude, it's hard to play there, especially with that defense. Uh, the Patriots down some running backs. Steven Jackson, by the way, first ever playoff game for his career. He's another good guy, easy to cheer for. I know it's not easy to cheer for the Patriots for a lot of you out there, but Steven Jackson's awesome. I hope he at least gets to play in the Super Bowl. Um, but I think it's going to come down to Tom Brady and how effective he can be on the road with his full complement of weapons against the Denver Broncos defense. Yeah, it's going to be a game of matchups. And, you know, we said Brock Osweiler went in and won against Tom Brady in Week 12, but really it wasn't him that that beat the Patriots. It was the running attack. 15 attempts from C.J. Anderson for 113 yards and two touchdowns. Ronnie Hillman backed him up for 14 attempts, 59 yards, and another touchdown. That was it. And, and, you know, we've said it week in and week out when talking about the Broncos this year. They need that running game. They need that running game desperately because, be it Manning or Osweiler, neither of them are the great quarterback that can carry the team at this point. They need to get that running game going. And that matchup, uh, Edelman was out, Amandola was out, though LeGarrette Blunt did play. So, uh, shuffling some some players on, on the Patriots side Edelman obviously is far more important than LeGarrette Blunt, but I agree with you at in Denver it's all going to come down to can Tom Brady make the throws against what is still a very tough very fast very aggressive Denver Broncos defense uh these teams 
have some history uh, the past couple years, don't like each other. It's going to be a very good game. It's going to come down to that Tom Brady, New England Patriots passing attack. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the Patriots had a 14-point lead late in that game, or a 10-point lead late in that game, and lost, if I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, they They did have the lead. I'm not sure how big of a lead it was. But I know they led late, and the Patriots were playing them well, and then Osweiler stepped up and made some big plays. And, and you're right, he was not the reason they won. I mean, he made some big plays, but you're right. The key for Denver is always going to be getting that running game going. You get the running game going, it makes everything easier. For New England, it's all going to be about Tom Brady. He has got to slice and dice that Denver defense. Two years ago, when they met in the AFC title game in Denver, he missed some uncharacteristic throws and that altitude throwing him off a little bit. That's going to be big for Tom Brady. He has got to overcome the elements in Denver and win there because Denver has been kind of a house of horrors for him. He's had some pretty bad games. Even before Peyton Manning got there, Denver had kind of had his number when it was in Denver. You know, that Super Bowl run ended the three out of the four, ended in Denver, and that was with Jake Plummer at quarterback. So Denver has had Tom Brady's number as much as anyone has had Tom Brady's number in his career uh, so that's going to be an intriguing matchup. And now, of course, the Broncos defense playing on all cylinders. Bob, it's obvious who I'm going to pick. I picked him in the preseason. I picked him before the playoffs. I'm a Patriots fan. I'm picking the Patriots. I think they're healthy. I think they'll do it. And I think Peyton Manning might have a Peyton Manning playoff game where it might be a little bit of a letdown. I'm not saying he'll play terrible, but I think he'll make just one one extra mistake that will cost them. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that. And I, I'm I'm leaning your way as well. I think with Edelman back, proving that he's back with the 10 receptions he put up against the Chiefs, Edelman plus Gronkowski this year is just a nightmare. And nobody has really been able to, to, to figure that out uh, when both of them are on the field. Uh, going into Denver, I, I understand that the Broncos do have some advantages, but uh, it, it's hard to argue against that. And, and with just the inconsistency of Peyton Manning and, and the inconsistency of Osweiler, if he gets in, uh, I have to go Patriots. And about that game in week 12, Patriots were up 21 to seven in the fourth quarter. Broncos scored 17 straight. Goskowski field goal to tie it, sign it into overtime. And then a CJ Anderson 48 yard run won it in overtime for the Broncos. So yeah, Osweiler definitely led him back, but, uh, there were still a lot of big runs from, from C.J. Anderson to, to bring that game back. Uncharacteristic them blowing that 21-7 lead, and it ultimately cost them home field throughout the playoffs. It'll be interesting. That fourth quarter could ultimately bite the Patriots if they end up losing because they had to play on the road. Time will tell. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think it's going to be kind of similar to the Steelers' playoff games we've seen where it's going to be a hard-hitting defensive game for – three quarters and then come the fourth quarter the quarterbacks are going to come alive and make some plays and one of them is going to beat the other and and that's really going to be it but for the most part I think it's going to be a a good defensive struggle with both of them trying to get their uh, well the Broncos their ground game and the Pats their their short passing game going and then it's just going to be a matter of who 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 gets hot then I certainly agree with you so we're both picking the Panthers and the Patriots so the P's will win this weekend yeah that's a rematch of 2003 2003 one of the most entertaining super bowls and another 
volume of my tutorial on how to screw up the two-point conversion by John Fox. <laughs> it's in my blog, as Bob said, but yeah. Anyway, we have jam-packed a ton of NFL into this podcast, but there are other things going on in the world of sports that we have kind of neglected over the last couple of weeks because of the NFL. Now that the NFL is winding down a bit, we will certainly get back to some of these developments, but Chris Davis is now going to be a very, very rich man. Huge deal he signed with Baltimore, the slugger from Baltimore we're talking about. Uh, seven years, $161 million. Some of that money is deferred until 2032, about $42 million of it. Bob, what do you think of this signing? I mean, the guy has bashed a lot of home runs over the last few years. Two years ago, he had 53. Last year, he had 47. 2014 season, he was cut short because of the steroid suspension. Uh, Bob, what are your thoughts to this signing? Uh, he was cut short that year, but he still managed to belt 26 home runs. So, proven home run hitter, uh, that is a currency in, in the MLB for sure. 47 home runs last year to complement his 208 strikeouts. So, this guy swings for the fences. He's going to strike out a lot, but he's going to make some really big plays for your team. Um, you know, I, I, I like it for, for the Orioles, uh, keeping their guy. Uh, they've been a proven team, a successful team the past few years with him anchoring the cleanup spot. So it, it's a good deal. Uh, with the deferred payment, he's only he's only going to be responsible for $17 million a year uh, throughout the course of that seven-year deal, and then he's going to get $42 million on the back end. So you know, it, it looks like a really good deal considering uh, Jason Hayward commanded eight years for $184 million. I know he's younger and can bring a, a different arsenal of tools to the trade, but those are two, two of the big bats available. And Chris Davis, I, I understand the strikeouts are hard to, hard to look at sometimes, but that might be somewhat of a value signing. You hit me 40-plus home runs, I'll give you a pass on the strikeouts. That's the bottom line. He is... Uh, He's been bashing them the last three years. Even before that, he had 33 in 2012, so very strong. That 50-plus home run season almost helped me win a fantasy title. I'm still a little bitter about that. I lost on the <laughs> last day to Paul Goldschmidt, but still, Chris Davis was a big part of that. Thank you, Chris. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a fairly strong value. I mean, given his production, you would think he'd command a much bigger salary. So I think the Orioles got a fairly strong deal, and he's only 29 years old, so... Not too bad. Um, All righty. Fury of coaching hires in the NFL. I'm switching back to the NFL. Uh, Hugh Jackson in Cleveland. Chip Kelly in San Francisco. Those were the big names. Kelly didn't go to Tennessee. Bob, were you a little surprised at that, that he spurned Tennessee for San Francisco? Yeah, I I am. I'm very surprised. Um, And really, I'm not even sure if they met the the Tennessee Titans and Chip Kelly to talk about the coaching hire. Even more surprising, I'm surprised Mike Malarkey is now the head coach of the Titans. I'm not sure if the Titans uh, really know what they're doing right now. But Chip Kelly going to San Francisco, Colin Kaepernick is there. Maybe this is good news for Kaepernick, and he might actually stay in in San Francisco. People thought that he was on his way out, so that might be good news for Cap. And then it's hard to imagine that the Cleveland Browns are uh, getting – all the praise for, for their coaching hire. That's really surprising. I'm tempering it, tempering my enthusiasm, but at least it's not getting canned. Well, the Giants and Niners were both courting him, and once he got hired, all the chips fell. So I think Hugh Jackson was one of, if not the top target in the offseason once Adam Gase was hired. and I Because once he got hired, everyone else was filled within 24 hours. So that told me that I think a lot of teams were waiting for him to sign to set the market. 
So kudos to the Browns for going out and getting one of the top shelf candidates. Uh, remains to be seen what he can do, what will happen, but hey, at least they got a good guy. And Bob, were you surprised that Jim Caldwell stood in Detroit? I'm glad that they kept him. I thought he did a good job there, but were you surprised that they did not uh, go a different way? Yeah, I, I was just because of the way they started the year, but uh, maybe the way they ended salvage and, and save Jim Caldwell's season. Um, he's probably on a very short leash and, and only has one more season to prove himself, but uh, I was surprised. Though I, I like Jim Caldwell. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's a, a really good person as well. Um, so I, I am happy to see him still coaching. Yeah, certainly. he's done. A, I think he's done a great job in Detroit the last two years. The start was ugly, but the team didn't give up on him. They rallied. They played well, and the year before, he had them playing very well too. So I think I think that was a good move to keep him all right, Bob, let's uh, get this one in here real quick. But a big game in the NBA on Thursday, last Thursday. The Cavs lost to the Spurs after playing fantastic in the first half. The Spurs came back at home, beat them. Big game for the Cavs on Monday against Golden State. Uh, what are your thoughts on the loss, and what are your thoughts on the on the big Warriors game coming into Cleveland for Martin Luther King Day? Uh, about that Spurs game, you know, Spurs are undefeated at home this season. Very good on the on at home. I mean, they're very good in general. I think uh, – what they have six losses at this point. So very, very good team. Kawhi Leonard did a great job against LeBron James. That kind of uh, slowed the whole game down in the second half. And uh, Cavs play valiantly uh, a five and one on their road trip. So nothing to be ashamed about losing on the road in the regular season to the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, both those teams look very set for, for a deep playoff run. And then uh, the rematch in Cleveland Emotions are going to be high. Tensions are going to be high against the Golden State Warriors. I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, you know, the Warriors since that Christmas Day matchup have slowed down just a hair and, and have struggled <laughs> a little bit. Uh, they're they're still cooking on all cylinders. The the third best half in NBA season history, uh, just behind the Bulls and the Lakers of old. Uh, the, the Warriors are great, but they do seem to have lost just a tick. So maybe. Traveling across the country in Cleveland, Cavs can, can pull it out and kind of even that series and get some revenge. Oh, they just got hammered by Detroit this weekend too. So, yeah, they've slowed it down. They've only lost, what, three times now, four times now? I mean, yeah. that's that's slowing it down for them. Uh, it's still going to be, I mean, like you said, it's still going to be a very tough game. I kind of think this is a close, as close to a must-win game in January as it gets because I think Cleveland needs to step up and punch this team in the mouth. Defend home floor against them. They lost on the road in a tough game. They've lost on the road to San Antonio. I think when these two teams come into Cleveland, they need to beat them and just kind of say, hey, you know what? We're going to see you in the finals. We can beat you too. I don't think they want to get swept by either of these teams. And it starts with Golden State on Monday. Again, I don't put too much weight in the regular season, but this is as close to as moving the needle as any game will for me being played before February. Yeah, certainly. It's going to be a good game to watch for sure. Uh, all right, real quick before we get out of here, Australian Open draw was released. Uh, Chris, you're the tennis guy. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I thought Serena Williams as the one seed didn't uh, didn't fare very well in the draw. She has to play uh, Caroline Wozniacki in the fourth round, potentially a former number one, Sharapova in the quarterfinals, and uh, uh, the number four lady in the world, Rajwenka. I completely put Rajwastika completely butchered her name there. I'm sorry about that. In the semifinals, potentially. So she, the draw was not kind to her. Um, the men's draw was pretty balanced. Not changing my picks. I still think Victoria Azarenka will win 
on the women's side. She was on the opposite half as Serena Williams. Remember this name, though, Eugenie Bouchard. Her season was cut short by a concussion. She's not seeded, but she was. She is one of the top players in the world. I think she's going to have a big run uh, all the way to the semifinals. I think she's going to get there and face Serena Williams there. Uh, that was my bold prediction on my blog. And then I'm not going against Novak Djokovic. He's just too good right now. He's in his prime. And so I think he's going to continue his dominance on the men's side. All right. Very cool. I have to check that out for sure. Yeah, certainly. I believe it's starting right now as we speak because it's like a super Australian time difference. They're like a day right. ahead or something like that. So, But all righty, guys, we are out of time. But thank you so much for listening to What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. Search Fenley Road Sports. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Fenley Road Sports. Come back to FenleyRoadSports.com for new content. We've got some Blogs rolling out for you. My tennis preview is up. Bob will have one later this week. We've got some news and review blogs to recap some of the stories throughout the week. So please check out our content. And we have something special planned for you guys next week. So please come back to FamilyRoadSports.com and see what we've got cooking up. One of the new things we've got planned for 2016 is going to roll out next week. It's going to be exciting, pretty fun. Can't wait. But until then, we'll see you next week and enjoy the world of sports until then. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.